God sent his only son that we might live in and through him. But whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus did, passing from death to life as we love one another, not being led astray, but remaining in his light where there is no darkness at all. For the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. So let us love one another without fear, for perfect love drives out fear. And if we love one another, God's love is made complete in us. Believe in the name of his son and love one another. Dear children, let us not only love with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. So today, I want to take you back in time. I want you to think back to your high school days or your college days. You know, you've been sitting in class, you've been listening to the lectures, you've been taking notes, you've been doing the homework, and then one day you walk into class and your teacher or professor drops those two words that just makes you shiver with anxiety, pop quiz. And suddenly you're, you're just riddled with Okay, am I ready for this? Do I remember all the content? What I remember? Does it matter? Well, Cornwall Church, today, pop quiz. We're doing a pop quiz today. Now, I'm going to ask you to uh, be willing to shout out your answers. Now, the great thing is there's no grading curve. We're not going to grade this test, which also means don't cheat from your neighbor. Six quick questions based on our series as we wrap up today on 1 John. Question one, who wrote 1 John? John, okay, 100%. (laughs) All right, question two, how many chapters make up 1 John? Five, all right. I don't want to say that you're doing better than the five o'clock, but you're doing better than the five o'clock, okay? All right. Yeah, five chapters make up 1 John. And just a really quick flyover, because it's been a while. Chapter 1, John reminds us firsthand that he had that firsthand witness experience about everything that he'd be writing about. He talked about that God is light, that God is love, and eternity comes only through the Father, through his Son. Chapter 2, he began about uh, talking about sin. Actually, he wrapped up talking about sin, which he began at the end of chapter 1. He reminded us that Jesus is our advocate, P.S., that's good news, and that we are not to get attached to things of the world because they'll pass away. We're also to be warned about Antichrist. Chapter 3, John reminds us about the assurance and the privilege of being called children of God and our victory over Satan. And chapter 4 encouraged us to practice discernment, to learn the, the spirit of truth versus the spirit of falsehood and the call to love one another. Chapters 1, 2, 3, and 4. All right, back to the pop quiz. Question 3, where did John write this letter? Where? What are you saying? It's like I'm hearing weird answers. Someone said, John's house? Is that what you said? (laughs) Oh, man, the 5 o'clock. Okay, anyway, 
Ephesus, Ephesus. So it's believed that he traveled, he relocated there, and that would be uh, current uh, Western Turkey. All right, so Ephesus is where he wrote the letter. All right, question four. To whom, what group of people did John write this letter? Christians. All right, all right, nice job. Laura Waltner, great job. Thank you. Christians. He wrote this to believers. He wrote this to encourage them, to remind them to be faithful to these basics of Christianity. And it was a big deal because the church at the time was hurting. They had questions. They were facing persecution. They were confused. And frankly, they were struggling with this idea of real love. It's why 1 John reads more like encouragement and less than instruction. He he wanted to deal with the crisis they were in, but also to use that crisis to recalibrate what matters most in our faith. That's question four. Question five, nearly to the end, to emphasize points, John consistently used two writing styles. Two writing styles. What might they have been? I'll say it, then you'd be like, oh, yeah, okay, that's right. All right, one was contrast, the other was repetition. Contrast and repetition. So to help us with understanding what he wanted to say, he would repeat things over and over and over again. To the point where we're like, we get it, John, we get it. He would use repetition, and we'll see that even today in chapter 5. He also would use several black and white contrasts. Christ versus antichrist, light and darkness, truth and falsehood, love and hate, righteousness and sin, uh, love of the Father versus love of the world. Question six, final question. At the end of it all, what is his point? What's the big idea? God is what? Love and light. God is love and light. He is both simultaneously and perfectly love and light. All right, how'd you do? 100%? 90, 80, okay. All right, not going to ask. As John begins this fifth chapter in his letter, we see him use this rapid-fire approach, almost sporadic, as he closes out his letter, and as he intentionally repeats again some core truths. And when you boil them all down, it really comes to three. Believing, obeying, and loving. According to John, if your faith is genuine, then this will be true. You will, one, believe, Jesus says he is. Two, you will obey what God commands. And three, you will love God and others. So as we wrap up this series, I want to review John's review of these culminating reminders in his letter. So number one, we are called to believe. We're called to believe. Now, now for you online, for you joining us across the country and around the world, in fact, at this service, we have people tuning in from Anaheim, California, Spokane, Washington, Puerto Vallarta, Rome, and Alabama right now checking out and watching and attending Cornwall Church online. So for all of you watching online, I want to let you in on a little secret. Here in Seattle, we are in a bit of a rebuilding phase with our Seattle Seahawks. And in a recent press conference, head coach Pete Carroll was asked about our next quarterback. And here's what he said. He said, I don't know yet, but I do know this. For our team, 
for our guys to believe in someone, they have to be willing to follow him. Let me read that again. For our guys, they have to believe in someone before they can follow him. John's making the same argument here. Our relationship with Jesus begins with our believing in Jesus. Before we can follow him, we have to believe in him. In chapter 5 alone, John will speak about believing in Jesus or having a faith in three different times. In fact, it's how he begins chapter 5. Chapter 5, verse 1 says, Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has become a child of God. And then a second time, just a couple verses later, Who is it that has overcome the world? Only the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. So first up, he makes the case of whom we are to believe in, and that's Jesus Remember when Jesus asked his disciples, who do you say I am? What's interesting is Christians and non-Christians can answer that question. In fact, I did a quick Google search this week just to see what answers might be out there. I actually found some rather disheartening responses. One person wrote, Jesus was a good Jewish man with a flair for moral teaching, but he certainly didn't rise from the dead. He was merely a man. Another said in a lecture, Jesus was part of a sect and he did not die on the cross. Even if he did, there's no certainty that he rose again. Now, that's what they say. But what about you? What would you say? I mean, if you were to find me in an elevator and said, Brian, you got 30 seconds, what would you say? I'd say, well, for me, he's, he's, he's God's perfect son. He came to live and die to cover my sin. He's a a miracle worker, and he's my guide and the great physician and my rock and my advocate, Emmanuel, God with us. And I believe all of that. You see, in this time that John was writing, there were a lot of voices speaking about Christ. But John wanted to reiterate and, more importantly, differentiate Yes, it is good to listen to these sound voices for teaching, but don't don't believe in Peter, don't believe in James, don't believe in Paul, believe only in Jesus. So after you have this belief in Jesus, then the next question is, what do I believe in? Well, after that belief in Jesus, we get this amazing assurance that we can believe that we have eternal life as children of God. And once again, John will remind us. John 5:11. And this is what God has testified. He has given us eternal life, and this life is in his son. So a belief in Jesus and a belief in eternal life. Whoever has the son has life. Whoever does not have God's son does not have life. A little bit later in chapter 5. And now we live in fellowship with the true God because we live in fellowship with his son, Jesus Christ. He is the only true God. He is eternal life. So we believe in Jesus. We get to believe in eternal life because we believe in Jesus. And finally, John in chapter 5 reminds us that through that belief in Jesus, we get our prayers heard all the time. In John 5, 14, he would say, this is the confidence, some versions will say, this is the belief that we have toward him, that if we ask anything in his will, he will hear us. I don't know about you, but one of the things that drives me crazy are dead zones. 
Now, now our main campus here in Bellingham is about 45 minutes from where I live down in Mount Vernon. And so most days when I leave the office here, I call my wife, Shauna, on the drive home. And and we've discovered that there's this one stretch of I-5 where my phone will drop to one bar. I remember this one time in particular. It had been a uniquely challenging and exhausting day at work. Yes, we have those at church too. Okay. And I remember getting in the car and just wanting, wanting to download, wanting just to, to share about my day. And so I, I call Shauna and I, I finish verbally puking to her. And I just think, you know what, now is what I need is some encouragement from my wife. And so I paused. <laughs> Nothing. Not a word. Not a sound. And then out of the silence, I hear Oh, I'm sorry, Bri, I didn't catch any of that. (laughs) Is there anything worse than talking to someone and having them not hear you? You see, John wants you to be assured that when you pray, there's no dead zone, like ever. Now, if we're being honest, sometimes it doesn't feel that way. We feel like we're talking, we're not sure, is God listening? Does he even care about this? But feeling and believing are two very different things. John's assuring us that feeling is fleeting. It's emotional. Believing is a core truth to our relationship with Jesus. We get to believe that God is listening always. Now, true fact, right? We always don't get our prayers answered the way we like or in the timing that we like or even though sometimes not at all, but those are all answers. And we have this amazing assurance that we can believe that God always hears us. Paul Miller, in his book, A Praying Life, I've mentioned this before, says this, as you grasp what God's heart is like, then prayer will feel more natural to you. God is extravagant and generous in hearing and answering our prayers. So first, we are called to believe, to believe in Jesus, to believe that we get to enjoy eternal life and believe that we have a direct connection through prayer. That's one. Then two, he says, we are called to obey. We're called to obey. John reminds us that we prove our love for God by obeying his commands. Our obedience to God shows him and shows others that we love him. Our ongoing obedience shows him and shows others that we love him and that we believe him and that we trust him and that we follow him. John would say this, chapter 5, verse 3, in fact, this is love for God to keep his commands. And his commands are not burdensome. Who is it that overcomes the world? Only the one who believes that Jesus is the son of God. There he is melding that first idea in the second. When we believe in God, this is the natural outflow that we will keep his commands if we love him. Now, first notice the word keep. It's an important word. It's an active imperative. Translated, this word keep means keep doing. In fact, keep doing, keeping his commands. Actively, ongoing. Now, for all of the rule followers in the room, like, this is a cakewalk, right? You're thinking to yourself, why wouldn't you keep the rules? 
And then there's those of you, you know who you are, I'm not going to make eye contact, that like to toe the line or full on just go outside and break the rules. You see, obedience is a challenge for those who like to be in charge and don't want to be told what to do. For all of you business owners, you know what I'm talking about. And yet, obeying God is not a business. Obeying God's commands is how we show our love for God and really has nothing to do with us. And according to John, these commands aren't burdensome. In fact, some versions will say uh, they're not heavy. They're not difficult. This statement is intriguing to me. Commands that aren't burdensome. I wish someone would tell my kids that. Here's why. At our house, Saturday is what we, uh, what I affectionately call reset day. Now, I'm a morning person, like even this morning, I was up at 6 a.m. ready to tackle the world while my family is sleeping. And on a Saturday morning, when I'm up in the 6 o'clock hour, by the time that Shauna, Alyssa, and Dylan wake from their peaceful slumber, one of these is posted at the base of our stairs. Now, I realize you can't see it from where you are, but this is reset day to-do list. And so under each person's name are the chores for the day. I mean, just to kind of give you some insight, again, you can't see this, but for Alyssa, her tasks for Reset Saturday was, uh, let's see, feeding the crabs, because we have hermit crabs for whatever reason, don't ever do that. Um, <laughs> taking uh, the, the recycling out, putting away her laundry for Dylan, he needed to vacuum the stairs, reset his bedroom. I actually, I wish you could see this. It says, clean your bedroom, I actually want to see your floor. So <laughs> these are not hard things. Now, no one likes doing chores. No one likes emptying the dishwasher. No one likes giving the dog a bath. But these chores, while they will take time and effort, they're not burdensome. They're not hard. They're not difficult. You see, being obedient to doing chores is simply being part of the Mengel family. John is making the same case. Obeying God is simply part of being God, part of God's family. Now, how do we know what God is asking us to do? Because he probably doesn't post a list at the base of your stairs. <laughs> On a micro level, God is very specific in his command and calling for each of you to be discovered on your own. He may call one person to sell everything and pack up and move with a purpose. He may call another to connect with a non-believer for a conversation over coffee. Specifically, only you will know what God is commanding for you. That answer can be discovered in your quiet time, through journaling, reading God's word, connecting with trusted believers. But on a macro level, man, I can talk about that. These are all the do's, like, you know, love one another, love God, be patient, be forgiving. And the don'ts, well, they can be summarized in one word, sin. Yeah, we're not called to do sin. But John doesn't remind us of that command with doom and gloom and heaviness and burden. In fact, the opposite. Remember when I mentioned he writes this letter with more encouragement than heavy instruction. And so he says this, We know that God's children do not make a practice of sinning. 
He's giving you the benefit of the doubt. For God's son holds them securely and the evil one cannot touch them. Is he saying you will never sin again? Not a chance. Is he saying that our life as a believer ought to be characterized by obedience over sin? Yes. The truth of what God is saying is really assuring, not burdensome. It's actually a statement of hope that when we fall, that when we fail and we confess that sin, we can know, believe, that God is faithful and just and will forgive our sin. And as for Satan, the one who tempts us, the one who dangles the carrot, the one who celebrates in our sin, God protects us from him. He cannot touch us. You know, as Christians, there's really three main enemies fighting for your attention. You've got Satan, you've got ourselves, and then you've got the world. And John has something to say about that as well in chapter 5. He says, Dear children, keep away from anything that might take God's place in your heart. Isn't it fascinating that this statement, true then thousands of years ago, still applicable today in 2022. Keep away from anything that takes its place, takes God's place in your heart. Elise Fitzpatrick said this, idols are the loves, thoughts, desires, longings, and expectations that we worship in place of God. They are the things that we invest our identity in, things that we trust. Idols cause us to disregard our heavenly father in search of things that we think we need. Now, with all of this, it's critical to say what John is not saying, what I'm not saying is you get a free pass to sin and do whatever you want, let your priorities slip. Like, woohoo, I can go out and sin and make other idols and place things above God if only I come up and ask for forgiveness because I know he'll forgive my sin. That's not what he's saying. You see, someone who has submitted their life to Christ, it's walking in the light, that won't be true of them. And just like the early church, sometimes we too need recalibration. So this week, I would encourage you, if you don't already have a quiet time, find a quiet moment without distraction to ask yourself honestly this question, what has standing in your heart? What has standing in your heart, in your life, what is holding a place above God or with God? Examine your priorities and then make any necessary changes. So we're called to believe, we're called to obey, and finally we are called to love. In the Bible, and especially here in 1 John, faith, obedience, and love are inseparable. He would say this in 1 John 5, 2, and 3, and everyone who loves the Father loves his children too. We know we love God's children if we love God and obey his commands. It's interesting here, he is entangling this idea of loving God and loving his kids, and loving his kids means we love God. You see, there were people back in John's time and our time that don't have a sense of or a desire to connect with God's people this way. Remember back to that verse, everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God, and everyone who loves the Father must love his children as well. You know, Pastor Kip and I go back 12 years this year. 
we met uh, pastoring, youth pastoring, at two different churches in Bend, Oregon. Now, I know, I know Pastor Kip loves me. He tells me so. He, he shows it through his action. But beyond that, the way I really know that Pastor Kip loves me is Pastor Kip loves my kids. When he sees Alyssa and Dylan, he is invested He knows them by name. He knows what's happening in their life. He loves my kids. His love for the parent means he has a love for the parent's kids. And the same is true here. We love God, and therefore we are called to love his children. Now, if it sounds like we've been here before, we have. (laughs) But it's for good reason, right? In this deeply divided world, we can find division on nearly any topic at all. And if you need proof of that, well, then look at your social media feed, watch TV, or just sit quietly in a coffee shop or a restaurant and just listen. Division and polarization are rampant, whether it's uh, racial or cultural, political, or some other difference. Division is the new normal. In fact, when we aren't at odds, we actually look for a reason to argue. And perhaps... Perhaps an unpopular opinion, but I think we as a nation and as a world have been collectively missing loving one another. I think it's been two decades. I think it's been since September 11, 2001, where our nation stopped, the world stopped, and we actually cared about people next to us. How are you doing? What do you need? How can I pray for you? You see, John is harping on us that to believe in Jesus and to obey Jesus means we got to love like Jesus, period. And instead of hating or casting judgment on people who look or vote or act differently, we've got to put love first. John writes, anyone who claims to be in the light but hates a brother or sister is in the darkness still. Still, like I don't want to live there. And John knows the benchmark. He heard Jesus firsthand say these exact words, a new commandment I give to you that you love one another just as I have loved you so as you are to love one another. He'd say again, this is my commandment that, I, that you love one another as I have loved you. And a third time he'd say these things I command to you that you love one another. John is circling back and repeating again to ensure that we get it, to ensure that it gets through our thick skull and our cold heart that we are called to love. Now, John is not saying to give in or back down or or back down from your faith or your belief. What he is saying is love is not optional. It's the baseline. It's non-negotiable. Love is the sign that Christ lives in you. Sinclair Ferguson would say it this way, personal differences can be deadly, dividing the fellowship and sowing seeds of bitterness. We can never shake hands with a Christian after an argument and say, I told you so. Instead, we should say, the Lord told us so, love one another. Church, make no mistake, we're called to lead with love. And a Christ-centered love is demonstrated in action. Words are way too easy to say. We show our love when we back it up with action. 
And here at Cornwall Church, we gave you, we encouraged you, we provided you the resources last summer with something we called Neighbor to Neighbor. This idea of what if you were empowered and encouraged to connect with those that you would consider neighbors outside the walls of this building, whether it's neighbors in your community, neighbors at your office, neighbors on your kid's sports team, but connecting with people that you normally wouldn't. And we heard tons of stories. One person wrote, I had a connection with a couple in my neighborhood. The husband had just had surgery and they were in Seattle. So I watered their plants and weeded the flower bed. When they came home, I took a meal to them, which ended up being us sitting on the deck and having a conversation. The wife told me that my visit was just what she needed and that nobody, nobody had ever done something like that for them before. Another person wrote, I'm an introvert. And I started looking at where God was working in my life already and praying how he might use me. I know I don't do well in large group settings. So I started spending time one-on-one with two neighbors who live in my apartment. We began sharing stories on a deeper level, enjoying walks and coffee together. I'm thankful that neighbor to neighbor encouraged me to grow in these one-on-one friendships. Just a heads up, neighbor to neighbor is back this summer. Encouraging you all over again, how is it you might connect with people around you? How might you lead with love well this summer? Ashley Klassen, who serves on our creative arts team, shared this quote with our team this week. It's from Donald Barnhouse, and it says this, Love that goes upward is worship. Love that goes outward is affection. Love that stoops is grace. I might offer the first two are easier. That third one, that's when we start going, I don't, I don't know. If only you knew. I just, we're called to love. There's no gray area. And you might remember that John was rather pointed in chapter four when he would say, if I say I love God and I hate my brother, I'm a liar. If we say we believe in God and we obey his commands and we love most and like some, friends, we're not hitting the mark. 1 John 4, 7, going back, says, Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Since God so loved us, we've got to love one another. 1 John 3, going back again, This is his commandment that we believe in the name of the Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another just as he commanded. There it is, all three, right? Believe, follow commands, and love one another. It begins with God's love for us because he loved us first. So how can it be unreasonable for us to not love other people? For the person who cuts you off on the freeway on the way to church today, love one another. For the person on social media with opposing political views, love one another. For the person who doesn't look or act the way I look and act, love one another. But Brian, he broke my trust, love one another. But she spread rumors about me and it cost me my job, love one another. But, but he lied to me, our friendship is over. Love one another. I mean, aren't you just a little bit curious to know how people might respond if we first acted with love? If we exampled God's love in us, if we modeled Jesus' love to others, if we softened our heart just a little bit to love 
all of God's children, even those, especially those that we disagree with. I mean, the Beatles would say, all you need is love. I wonder if Jesus would say, all you need is love for one another. We have to remember, John doesn't think of love as affection or as a feeling. John says, love is action. Don't just tell me you love people. Show me. Even when we don't feel particularly loving, John reminds us that love is the evidence of God in us. In the very end of this letter, John's intention is to encourage the church then and to encourage the church today to follow Jesus in a belief in him, an obedience of him, and a love for him and others. And here's the great news. We can do this. You can do this. God is not a God who relishes in unattainable goals. And so we end this series with how it began, with a calling. Go in love, be a light. We end how we started, to go in love and to be a light. God is love, so we're to be love. God is light, so we're to be a light. Love is not merely one of God's attributes. It's possibly his most profound description. It's his nature. It's his character. And it's not that God is lovely or loving or love-like. God is love. That's how he is. That's how he makes himself known. And simultaneously, God is light. Light has this unique ability to banish darkness and drive away fear and illuminate error and reveal truth to give us sight and insight. Paul would say, for you were once in darkness, but now you are the light in the Lord. Live as children of light. I love Michelangelo's description. He would say, I live and love in God's peculiar light. And author Jennifer Spredeman would say this, the world is so different when viewed through the light of God's love. And that is the end. In light of all that we've heard about light and love and sin and Satan and sacrifice and victory, what's our go-away challenge? It's this, to live as a beloved child of God. That's the go-away challenge. To actually live in action as a child of God, because as John reminds us, that is who you are. I can just imagine him kind of shaking our shoulders saying, church, you're children of God. Do you get it? Live that way. In five short chapters, John masterfully wrote this letter that reminds us over and over of who you are and whose you are. I hope you've enjoyed this letter, this exploration of verses and chapters. And as I reviewed this concluding message, man, 1 John has been full of some incredible encouragements. And instead of me rattling them off to you, I actually asked a couple of friends from Cornwall Bellingham, our Skagit campus, and our online campus to help me share with you some of John's greatest encouragements. Take a look at this. Dear children, he who is in you 
is greater than he who is in the world. 1 John 4.4 And this is the testimony. God has given us eternal life, and that life is in his Son. 1 John 5.11 Dear children, abide in him so that when he appears, we can be confident and unashamed at his coming. 1 John 2.28 He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. 1 John 2, verse 2. This is the message we have heard from him and declare to you, God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. 1 John 1, 5. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. 1 John 4, 12. For this is the message you heard from the beginning. We should love one another. 1 John 3:11. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. 1 John 3:16. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. 1 John 4:11. See what great love the Father has lavished upon us that we should be called children of God. 1 John 3 verse 1. And this is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. 1 John 4, 9. We love because he first loved us. 1 John 4, 19. I hope that fires you up. Oh man, that's good stuff. That is so great. I hope that you over and over will remind yourself of the amazing truth found in this simple, small letter. The big encouragement that's found in this very small letter. I hope that you are ready to bust out of this building and start living as your status as a child of God. Do not let these encouragements live here or just here. Take action. The truth inspires. The calling is now. Church, let's not wait. Go in love, be a light.